Welcome to the Informed Simplicity Podcast. I'm Dr. Jordan Hayes here with Dr. Julia Conroy. This is our Polyvago series. In this series, we're taking a shared journey to learn more about how stress impacts our bodies from a polyvagal perspective. If you're there as a counselor, you can earn CEs by listening. Check the description to learn how you can listen and earn. At the beginning of each episode, we like to review the basics of polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory tells us that our bodies have three ways of responding, all depending on how safe or threatened we feel. First, when we we feel safe or only a little challenged, our bodies are designed to seek connection. This is when our bodies are primed for growth and physical healing. But sometimes we face outright challenges. When this happens, our heart rate and breathing speed up and we go into our second response, fight or flight. This is when our bodies are primed for movement. This is also when we are prone to irritation and anxiety. And if we're facing what feels like a life-threatening situation, our heart rate and breathing slow way down and we use our third response, freezing. There are different types of freezing. Some of the types of freezing are things like going numb, fainting, feeling depressed, or having chronic fatigue and lethargy. However, our bodies respond to challenges and threats. The important thing to remember is all of these systems are working together to maximize protection for our most vulnerable systems. In short, our bodies are designed to keep us safe. To understand the relationship between these three responses and our physical and mental health we're looking at the extensive research on how stress impacts our bodies. Our main text for this is Robert Sapolsky's book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Uh, Julia, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm getting excited. Let's talk cardiovascular system. Yes, today (laughs) we're talking about the heart. I'm really excited about this. so I am really excited about this chapter, right? We're, we're looking at Robert Sapolsky's Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And um, this chapter for me is really exciting because it's all about the cardiovascular system. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about this for two big reasons. One is I learned so much about my body. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so many things I just never knew about yeah. me. There's so many vocab words that suddenly make sense now. Mm. Things I've heard on like ER or Grace Anatomy or Scrubs, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what that means. And suddenly I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I, I now know what that means. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really cool. Mm. And also, I really enjoyed this chapter because I feel like this is the first chapter where we go in depth into a specific system. Mm-hmm. And look at how stress impacts that system. Right. Um, and so I think it gave me a much more clear view of mm-hmm. what we're talking about. So I'm really yeah. excited. Most definitely. And as clinicians, you know, we talk a lot about the heart uh, from, from one specific capacity of 
how's your heart? Tell me what that does for your heart there, right? And, and kind of uh, this emotional side of that. But especially when we're doing in this series, what uh, polyvagal theory does so well, what Sapolsky does so well in his work is let's look at the person holistically. If we really want to attend to the whole person, right? That this doesn't replace any knowledge, this doesn't you know, supplant the things that we study um, with regard to mental health, but it complements that knowledge so we can have a fuller appreciation, not just as we're watching reruns of ER and Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and whatever it is, um, but also uh, that we understand what goes in our bodies um, when we're stressed. Um, for clinicians that might be listening, what really happens for your clients in those moments where they feel moments of distress, it's this holistic approach. A perspective that really allows us to appreciate the full body experience that is stress. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think as we get into this, it's just so normalizing, like, okay, this is what bodies do when they're stressed. So mm -hmm. there's nothing out of the ordinary about that. Mm -hmm. So look, when we look at this, um, one of the things that I think everybody knows on a very general level is that when you are stressed, right? And you're sort of in that middle rung, right? Mm -hmm. And your body feels like, okay, there's a, a challenge, there's a threat, there's a stressor, but it's not overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's not um, a death level stressor. Mm -hmm. Your heart rate often spikes. Absolutely. And what Sapolsky says in the book is that three things happen, right? Your heart rate spikes. That's one of them. Mm -hmm. There's a changes in your blood vessels. Mm -hmm. And then your kidneys also change in, in how they function. Yeah. And so those are sort of the three big, um, I'm going to say, like systems and organs he talks about in this section. Right. Um, but the thing that I think that's really obvious and is intuitively grasped is, okay, my heart rate speeds up. Mm -hmm. but your blood vessels also change and you really brought up mm -hmm. a very nuanced view of this. So I'm going to give my take and then I'm going to have you go back and, you know, fix all the, <laughs> fix all the, all the, all the problems. Cause one of the things that happens when we encounter a stressor is that our blood vessels dilate. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is a good thing because that means that our parts can pump more blood and that blood can carry all that nutrients to our muscles, which really need it. Mm -hmm. But you were saying, actually, it's, it's more nuanced than that. Can you sort of go into that? It is, because in those moments, right, and we mentioned this last, uh, last episode, too, of talking about this idea of the allostatic load, which is basically the degree of stress the body is under as it tries to get us back to homeostasis, where we're in optimum functioning. And so what's really important is we can't just generalize, okay, all the blood vessels constrict, all of them dilate, all of them do this, because really the goal of the body is how do I get energy to where it needs to be so that I can be restored in that balance, right? And so what we find um, in that research is that actually the blood vessels that are returning blood to the heart, those constrict those get more rigid. Um, they get tighter. It's harder to pump blood through them so that the body speeds up 
right? It's output and is pumping blood forward with more veracity uh, in those moments. So it actually gets more challenging to get blood to the heart during moments of distress, um, during moments of stress. Um, and it's because of this um, that, that the heart kind of takes a beating uh, because this is like pretty intense. Um, this is a lot more um, exertion on the heart to, to get the blood there in the first place and then to do its thing uh, once it's there because there is, there's like this high impact uh, coming in. Um, but just like you said, that's not true of every blood vessel in the body because as the body's looking to mobilize itself, it needs to make sure it has plenty of energy flow, plenty of access to our limbs, which the body deems to be most vital during moments of distress. So the pathways that my body has to get blood to my hands, to my legs, like the things that are most essential, right? Physically um, to, to have that fight or flight response, those doorways open up more, more loosely so that blood and energy can get there quick. Um, but as far as um, kind of blood vessels to less essential um, operating functions, and there's a hundred of those, um, but the one referenced specifically here in this section is the kidneys. Um, that those are like, this is not essential here. We don't need these for fight or flight. Let's slow down access there. Um, and so those also constrict just because the body is prioritizing what is most essential and what's going to be most adaptive in that fight or flight response. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it makes more sense of some of the things that we talked about a little later, right? So basically what you're mm -hmm. saying is, the blood, the outgoing blood, the blood going from your heart to the rest of your body, that goes through blood vessels that have been opened, mm -hmm. that have been dilated. Mm -hmm. But the blood that is going into the heart, right, from yeah. the body into the heart, those are coming in mm -hmm. through blood vessels that have constricted, that have gotten smaller. Right. And, and, and so with this, yeah. And, and also, when your blood is sending out the blood in these more open, when your heart is sending out the blood in these more open blood vessels, it's not sending it to your whole body. Mm -hmm. It's sending it to the parts of you that are needed for the flight or flight sort of behaviors, mm -hmm. right? For your arms, for your hands, and not for other stuff like your kidneys or your guts. Mm -hmm. Those are not needed. You don't need to give energy to those systems at that time. Absolutely. And, uh, and a lot of stressors that we're experiencing now in 2021 or 22, uh, whenever you're listening to this, uh, that a lot of those stressors, it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't help for me to have like more blood flowing to my legs. <laughs> Our bodies haven't caught up right to the stressors. It's still preparing us for those primarily physical stressors that were far more pressing, right. in years prior to this. Uh, and so you can still feel this. I think everyone knows this experience of when I'm stressed or like in a meeting, it's like, I wanted to run. <laughs> I wanted to get out of there. Like I felt really antsy. I couldn't stop my fingers from fidgeting. Like my foot was kicking. It's because during those moments of distress, even though I'm just sitting there, right? My blood is still doing the same thing. All of it's getting pumped to my outer limbs, preparing me for that physical fight or flight. Um, even though it's not necessary in a lot of the stressful situations that we experience. 
So it's not concerning to know that someone's fidgety during moments of distress or that their foot's popping. They don't know what's going on in those moments, right? But their body is mobilizing them because it's interpreting that distress as, shoot, you got to run <laughs> um, or, or you got to put up some sort of fight. We're going to get you everything you need to do those two functions. They're just not as applicable uh, in the stressful situations we find ourselves in now. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's the whole point of looking at this. Like, that's the point of Portis, and that's the point of Sapolsky, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Sapolsky's whole thing is we have this response to stress a lot like zebras do. Mm -hmm. But the difference is zebras don't get stressed out. They don't feel threatened by, like, a math test, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, that's yeah. the difference mm -hmm. between us and zebras. We mm -hmm. have the same general response but we're living in different contexts. And the context that yeah. humans find ourselves in is more social, more psychological. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, you're sitting in a meeting and your heart is racing, but your body's responding just like a zebra does when it's on the savannah. Exactly. And so I think my body's malfunctioning. Right. I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need to run. I don't need to be faster. I don't need to be more mobile. I don't, I'm not going to hopefully in most meetings, you know, resort to a fist fight. Um, but your body's like, I'm equipping you for that. You're stressed. This, these are your two good responses when you're in this degree of stress. And, and so I think it's really important to understand your body's not malfunctioning in this space. It's evolutionarily doing what it was programmed to do to keep you safe. Yeah. It's not always relevant for the settings that we find ourselves in now but that doesn't mean that your body's doing something wrong. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think that also leads to the second thing that I've learned from polyvagal theory about this stuff is when you're in that state, you're primed for those behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're talking to people, the more that we understand this material and we see what state they're in, the more we can empathize with them and then help mm -hmm. them, right? Absolutely. Because when this is going on for us, when we're sitting in that meeting and our fingers are, you know, twitching and we're feeling jittery in the chair, it doesn't help to be like, well, don't feel that way, Bob. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? What you need is the same thing that in some ways, like those zebras need, right? Like zebras... Mm -hmm. How do they run? They run in herds. They run in packs. I guess not packs because they're, you know, like zebras, but like they, they need that community and, and they need the stressor to be removed. And until you do that, it's very hard to get a zebra to do anything else. And it's the same way with us. Absolutely. And I think that that is kind of, I'm not going to use the word hopeless, but I kind of just did. Um, that's the really challenging part about this old way of thinking about sympathetic versus parasympathetic. I can't remove every stressful situation from my life, right? And I can't train my body to not be anxious when stress comes up. I can't teach myself to do that. There are just situations that warrant stress and that's okay. But the hopeful part of the polyvagal perspective is that the issue is that we become rigid. 
in our response to stress that our body automatically opts for that fight or flight response, even when that physical response isn't necessary. Yeah. And that we can have flexibility in the way that our body responds to stress, right? And the new door, the new pathway that polyvagal opens up for us is that there is a social engagement system, right? And that there's some types of stress where I can train my body to recognize I don't need to physically activate and respond to this type of stress. I can shoot a quick text in that meeting. I can look at my coworker next to me and make, you know, the eye contact. That's like, do you see what's happening here? Right. And I can look for little moments of connection there that alleviate that stress instead of just trying to suppress it and stop my body um, from activating in that flight or flight um, traditional response that we often remain stuck in. I love that. I love that. And I think that's, that's a, that's that is a hopeful picture, mm-hmm. right? And I think that also dovetails into the flip side of this, and sort of like the next part of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you can't do that, or when you haven't been able to do that, right, and your heart rate is chronically elevated, mm-hmm. right? when, you're, when you haven't been able to use social engagement, sort of mm-hmm. that first rung of the of the ladder, mm-hmm. to um, re-get your balance to, to, mm-hmm. to, to reset and you're chronically activated. Your heart is chronically mm-hmm. elevated mm-hmm. and the blood pressure going at, the blood going out is going through these open, um, uh, blood vessels mm-hmm. really intensely. Mm-hmm. Right. Part of what that does to your body physically mm-hmm. is it causes those blood vessels to then take more pressure, which means that they thicken and they get harder. Mm-hmm. And on the, on, the, on the far end of this, right, that's what leads to things like hypertension, which is chronically high blood pressure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And for me, I was like, oh, that's what, I didn't ever knew what hypertension really meant. You know, I go to Walmart mm-hmm. and get my blood pressure taken up. I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm like, what, is it, what does that mean? And it's like, oh, yeah. it means that my body, for whatever reason, is a little bit, if it's, if it's high, if, if, my, if I have hypertension is a little bit on the mobilized side, sort of chronically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And that's also where heart disease comes in. And I didn't know what heart yeah. disease meant, but mm-hmm. what does it do to your heart to mm-hmm. constantly be running at this high speed, mm-hmm. you know? And it talks about it in the book of like how heart disease is one of the leading sort of causes of death for uh, people. It's like, wow, this, mm-hmm. this stuff also impacts your body very, very yeah. viscerally. Absolutely. Because like we said, the the point of the stress response, right? The way that we talked about how heart speeds up, some of the uh, blood vessels constrict, some of them dilate, um, the kidneys shut down. All of that is done in an attempt to get you energy quickly to where your body assesses that you need it most. That is such a good thing, right? When a bear is chasing me through the woods, I'm so glad my body does that, (laughs) right? But what happens when my primary source of stress is that I am running into stressful situations moment after moment after at moment work or after at moment school or, at school, yeah. at home, yeah, right? right. And on the way to home in the traffic, like all of it just presents stress after stress after stress. 
which keeps our body in that elevated state, keeps our body from having this moment where the blood vessels can resume normal functioning, where the blood flow can operate in the way that it's meant to and, and spread throughout the entire body, right? And, and that the kidneys can operate in the way that we're, they're meant to, that this touches every aspect um, of our physical functioning because our bodies stay in that place where they're trying to prioritize the physical response to stress. So I actually have a question for you here, right? So the third part, uh, the third organ, the third section of this book talks about how uh, blood pressure affects your kidneys. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a question for you here, right? When I've studied Porges' work in polyvagal theory, he often talks about how organs below the diaphragm mm-hmm. are the ones that are really impacted mm-hmm. by the freeze response, right? Mm-hmm. By sort of that bottom rung of the, of the um, that polyvagal ladder. Mm-hmm. And so he talks about how people who've often been traumatized will defecate during the trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered, what about like peeing yourself, right? In the mm-hmm. book, Sapolsky presents, you know, wetting yourself as something that your body does when it's in that middle rung, when you're in that sort of mm-hmm. fight or flight. Um, but, you know, when you're peeing yourself, that's organs below the diaphragm. Right. So like, yeah. do we know where that falls in the hierarchy? Yeah. Do we, do we not it's know a yet? little bit nuanced here and awfully specific. And, and so what we actually find in that urine secretion is um, if the, the urine has been released to the bladder, that's different. Uh-huh. Right. And the body's like, we've got it because the bladder is just one direction. It's like, if it's already been sent. It's like, this is dead weight. It's one direction. Like we got to get out of here. Um, and it will empty the dead weight because it's like this extra, however many ounces is not going to be helpful in the fighting that we're doing. We've got to release, we've got to empty, we've got to get it out of here. However, if it's still being processed within the kidneys, um, what we'll actually find is that the kidneys Um, because the blood flow has been slowed there, um, that often, and there are some studies kind of debating this back and forth, that the body will actually kind of like dissolve that old energy and and use it to hydrate the system um, and hydrate the blood because um, the blood is so dehydrated that that, at that point um, in a sustained period of stress. Um, And so you won't have to go. Um, if it hasn't been released yet. And and so that's typically when we see someone in a fight or flight state, um, wetting themselves, that's usually because it's already been sent to the bladder. Once it's sent there, there's only one thing that that can happen to the body just releases it to again, optimize that capacity, um, for fight or flight. Wow. That's, that's amazing. It just depends on where it is. Okay. Which a lot of us aren't aware of. Um, if yeah. you are, please contact us immediately. <laughs> Science will want to study you. <laughs> mm. um, so there's also a few vocab terms that I really like in this part of the book. Mm. Um, but before we get to too many of those, the other thing that I thought was fascinating was, you know, we hear so much about the heart and cholesterol, the heart and cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Right, and how that causes all sorts of problems for us. Um, and 
recently I've heard a bunch of, a bunch of people on, on Twitter and I've heard a bunch of, of anecdotes of people being like, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter your level of cholesterol. And I was like, well, what's the truth here? And what was fascinating was he's, when he's talking about heart disease, right? Mm -hmm. He says, actually, the best predictor for heart disease is not the levels of uh, cholesterol in your blood, mm -hmm. right? Which I was like, okay. <laughs> but the levels of inflammation, right? Yeah. And so basically what he says is that when you're in that sort of chronically elevated state, mm -hmm. uh, there's more inflammation in the blood vessels. Mm -hmm. and that's a better predictor of heart disease. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like that alone blew my brain. Yeah, Because then it really is more about like the level of stress mm -hmm. and how you're responding to this thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I do, I think again, that this is us taking a holistic perspective actually ushers in a degree of hope here because it's kind of like a nature nurture mm. <laughs> uh, situation where, where of course you can't dismiss the reality um, that heart disease runs in family that increases your likelihood, you know, the, those genetics are passed on in that way, but also probably some coping strategies were passed on from generation to generation. And if I watched my parents and, and their parents suppress and just buckle down and, and keep going and, and not reach out and, and to muscle through and the whole bootstraps thing, which I just refuse to say the whole phrase. It's too ridiculous. <laughs> it's physically impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anyway, Except if I math. watch that, <laughs> yeah, if I watch that happen, then I'm probably going to develop coping strategies that are going to promote a pretty heightened stress response. And so having this holistic perspective, I think gives a lot of hope where it's like, I'm not just destined for heart disease. Right. If I can find a way to de-escalate my body, right, and get it back to its um, allostatic balance, then I give it the recovery that it needs to promote healthier heart functioning. Um, and I think that just offers a lot of hope, um, but a lot of uh, maybe uh, awareness of kind of the multiple factors that impact that, which I think are, are kind of necessary too from a, a medical model, which we're hearing more and more that being appreciated. Um, but I think that that's a really important piece too. This offers hope that it's not just you're born with it or you're not. I have high cholesterol or I don't. My capacity and my awareness of how I can get my body out of this de-escalated state um, and look for other ways to channel um, that stress actually could improve my heart functioning. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a big idea. I'm not destined for this just because it's just because my dad had this and my mom had this. You know, actually, the better I'm able to co-regulate with other people, the better I'm able to use the social engagement system, the better my body is at going back to homeostatic or allostatic mm -hmm. balance. That's mm -hmm. the biggest predictor of like my health long, long term. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so I want to mm. say that specific because it was just so good, right? It's not like we're making this so simple as like, 
disconnect with other people and you're stressed and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what what you're doing right from a physiological perspective right is you're telling your body hey i don't need to be prepped for a physical fight or flight when every stress comes up there is another option of how to manage that stress right and from a polyvagal theory uh, perspective my options are, are to connect with others and to be soothed in that co-regulation and that decreases my need to get elevated and to get activated. Um, and, and so that's really what we're talking about there is training your body. There can be some flexibility in the yeah. way that I respond to stress. I don't always need to be prepped for this physical fight. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that's so good. Um, so one of the other things that he talks about in the book is, so when your blood pressure goes up, right, and your body's pumping all this blood out, trying to get nutrients and supplies, part of what happens then is that those nutrients, if you're chronically elevated, stay in your blood for a long time. Your body's sort of constantly pu pushing that out. And that's how plaques form. And I never knew that's where plaques came from. Mm-hmm. And when these plaques are floating throughout your body, they can cause a lot of issues, right? And so if a plaque is free floating, he says that's a thrombus, I think he calls it. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I never knew that. Um, Look at these vocab words. So many vocab words. Like I can go back and just watch scrubs and you know. But also, um, and and that and that can cause a myocardic infarction or a heart attack, mm -hmm. right? When mm -hmm. this when this thrombus, this free-floating plaque, mm -hmm. this combination of glucose and fat and all the stuff your body's mm -hmm. pumping out mm -hmm. to give itself energy. Mm -hmm. That's chronically in your blood. It can congeal, mm -hmm. form a plaque. The plaque gets loose. It's a thrombus, and it can go into your heart, and that's what causes a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, now I know what thrombus means. What might <laughs> means. Um, which is just crazy. Just crazy. Yeah. And then uh, also, we, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, because we hear these terms, right? And it just feels like they're so strictly medical, right? And it feels like this is just what my body does. It just has this. Maybe it's because of what I eat. Maybe it's because of the family history that I have. But also what's so important, what Zapolsky is saying here is, yeah, but some of that too is a result of your body being in a consistently elevated state. Yeah. Right. And is needing to pump out these things because it, it's trying to prep you for that physical battle that's coming up. Right. And this is its way of protecting you. But when that protection is needed during for such a great percentage of the time, these are, these are kind of the devastating consequences this that this can that. have long term. Yeah. And again, the hope here is, oh, it doesn't have to be that way. Though. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then he also talks about arteriosclerosis, which is one of those words that I'm like, man, I thought that was a dinosaur, you know, like, what is, <laughs> like, what is that? And it's like, okay, when you have multiple of these plaques, mm -hmm. that's what arteriosclerosis is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of this, like you're saying, is influenced by your physiological ability to use the social engagement system, the top rung of mm -hmm. that ladder. Mm -hmm. And so there's hope. The better yeah. we can use that, the better we have, the more flexibility that we have, then mm -hmm. 
the easier it is to um, for our bodies to regulate and deal with these issues instead of mm-hmm. instead of having these problems sort of come up. I thought that was fascinating. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about. <laughs> so the last part of this book of this of this chapter, I think, is gets really interesting. Um, because he talks about sudden cardiac death and voodoo death, fatal pleasures, and it's just like, whoa. <laughs> and I think this is the part where he doesn't know it, but he's talking sort of um, polyvagal theory, right? Because mm-hmm. basically what he's saying is your heart specifically and you i'm gonna have to help you i'm gonna have you i'm gonna have to have you really clean this up but chart specifically doesn't always know if the elevation is for a good reason or a bad reason yeah all it knows is that it's activated all it knows is that it's activated Mm -hmm. and so people will faint he says when they're in like the throes of pleasure Mm -hmm. and also when they're in the throes of threat it's like, man, I am just too elevated. Mm-hmm. And what he does is he says this is a part of sort of the fight or flight response. But I think what we would say is that fainting is more a um, protective response. Your heart is basically saying, hey, it's too high. This is too much. Like, we've got to sort of yeah. shut down for a little bit. And, and to be clear here, he does, he specifies, like, these are people that tend to have these are ones that don't have super healthy hearts to begin with. Mm. Um, but this isn't seen in, you know, if you've got an average healthy heart, um, then this isn't as going to be as likely, but he kind of distinguishes. This is kind of when your body has gotten pretty stuck in some rigidity. Right. And so it just interprets, even when I get excited, when I get good news, like I can feel my heart beating faster. It's like, this is exciting. And their bodies are so stuck in rigidity right? In that panic response, it's like, oh, heart's beating fast. Shoot. Like, I know what this means. This means the same thing every time I'm also responding to it as if it's a threat. Mm. That's, that's really interesting because when he talks about fatal pleasures, he talks about, I'm going to just read this quote, put another way. And he says, your sympathetic nervous system probably has roughly the same impact on your car, on your coronary arteries whether you are in the middle of murderous rage or a thrilling or orgasm. And having studied the polyvagal stuff, I was a little bit familiar with how you can faint when you're sort of at the bottom rung of that. But I remember when you're at the bottom rung of the, of the response hierarchy, right? The polyvagal mm-hmm. hierarchy. But I remember being in a training with, with Porges and he shows this video mm-hmm of, uh, and I wish I could find the video, of this guy on Dr. Phil meeting his father for the first time. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Phil surprises him, right? So the guy's sitting down, talking to Dr. Phil about, man, I wish I knew my dad, you know, yada, yada, yada. Dr. Phil says, well, he's right behind you. And the man stands up and just faints. Mm-hmm. And, I, and Porter says something about it and he goes on and I was like, wait, how is, like, like what is going on here? Mm-hmm. This is a good thing. This thing yeah. he's wanted his entire life, he finally yeah. gets, and he's 
responding out of this really protective way. Mm -hmm. And from what you're saying, it's like, okay, that's because, you know, how is his body already primed to respond? Yeah. And I would imagine, right, if he's saying something like that, they don't have a super close, healthy bond <laughs> um, that maybe like issues around his father have always maybe been stressful and have always been pretty anxiety producing and have always been pretty threatening to his system, right? So even in that positive moment where I'm getting the very thing that I want, my heart rate starts to elevate, right? Just out of the surprise, out of all of it, the excitement and his body recognizes that as, oh, we've been here before. This is threat. This isn't a good thing. This is overwhelming <laughs> amount of increase in arousal. Shoot. <laughs> we need to like make sure that you're safe. We need to make sure this doesn't become too much, right? That it doesn't get overloaded. And, and that's where you see something like that happen. Mm -hmm. But it's confusing, right? Because it doesn't feel like it makes sense. Mm -hmm. He just said that he wanted that. <laughs> Why would his body do that? Right. It's because especially when we've been stuck in rigidity, our body isn't good at determining what the best response is. It yeah. only knows one way. Yeah. I think even that is so. It just reframes the whole narrative around that. Like, okay, this this makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's it actually is is totally it's it's not outside of the realm of possibility. It's not weird. It's not strange. It's like, okay, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. This is how our bodies are wired to respond, are built to respond, have evolved mm -hmm. to respond when we're faced with something that is overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. And then probably because of his history, the specific thing was more overwhelming than other things. I mean, he's on Dr. Phil for a reason, right? Talking about his dad. <laughs> like, not because like, my life is so painful. Not because he has a great relationship with his dad. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that leads into what he calls, what Sapolsky talks about is voodoo death, right? These very strange situations where, you know, in uh, maybe hunter gatherers societies um, and he talks about people in haiti um where they are cursed by mm -hmm. someone in their in their group and then a few days later they end up dying mm -hmm. right and i think one of the things that he does really well is he says hey like there's probably different reasons for this mm -hmm. which i think is actually very wise it's it's, it's mm -hmm. very science scientific right mm -hmm. i could have offended you and you could have poisoned me, and then that's maybe the reason that I that I died. But everyone thinks it's because you cursed me, right? I could have offended you, and I'm on, I know I'm on I'm I'm already on my deathbed, and so mm -hmm. I was going to die anyway. Mm -hmm. But because we know that when people are faced with a big threat, mm -hmm. and they go to that bottom rung of the hierarchy, and they mm -hmm. faint, they pass out, uh, the heart rate plummets. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard on mammals. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when you are cursed and you're socially isolated, mm -hmm. your heart rate can shut down and it, and it, ends, and it ends up with you dying. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because um, who is dying to hang out with a cursed person? Right. Right. And that's a part of it too. But also if you're 
if I'm told I'm going to die within 24 hours, think about, but I don't know when it's coming. I don't know what it's going to look like. Oh my gosh. How heightened am I at like any noise, any car that drives by any person that like walks past me, I am heightened. Right. And so I'm in that heightened uh, state for so long and I'm experiencing that in isolation for so long that eventually, yeah, that, that, that most primitive system can kick in right. because that's just not how we're meant to live. Right. Right. Or what you were saying before, right? How was my body already? How was my physiology mm-hmm. already? Mm-hmm. And then I'm cursed mm-hmm. and then I faint or I feel this deep sense of hopelessness. My body's already vulnerable and already primed to sort of shut down. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I shut down and then I die. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. these are all um, ways that this makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and then the other part of this that I thought was really interesting is he basically calls out the ambiguity, right? He says, he says in the book that this is probably because of that middle rung. People are in the fight or flight and their heart rate gets so fast and so dysregulated mm-hmm. that it just sort of like stops, right? Almost like um, someone jumping rope too fast. Mm-hmm. They get t- tangled over their own feet and they just like collapse, mm-hmm. right? So he's saying that this is probably sy- sympathetically activated. Um, yeah. This is probably because of the sympathetic system. But which I mean that can happen. Right. It can happen. <laughs> right? right. It can exert too much, right? And then your heart just bursts or like it can't do it anymore. Right. That happens. Um, it, but <laughs> it happens. But he also says basically that like it's not, he doesn't know for sure. Mm-hmm. And he says there's another theory that says this is actually activated by the pop by the parasympathetic nervous system which mm-hmm. is what we would say you know mm-hmm. from a polyvagal per, per perspective that that happens because the parasympathetic nervous system takes over at that time yeah and, and he does yeah and he says in the book the vagus nerve takes over yeah. right because <laughs> it, he equates right the parasympathetic with the vagus nerve um and so you see that confusion right of like wait i thought that the because he's arguing like what a good thing the vagus nerve is and the parasympathetic is the whole book. And it's like, wait, that will kill you. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> where, where was this like character shift? It's like, this is the hero of the book. And then, but ultimately like it can lead to death. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think you're, you're totally right. Jordan, that kind of like blank space that's left there is very much filled in by the polyvagal theory saying, this is really more about that ladder. This is really more about evolutionarily, how is my body assessing um, the most fitting response given the danger that's present? Yeah. So I wanted to take this um, a little bit deeper, right? Because you, you were talking about the, the ladder. And I think for me, one of the hardest things to really grasp was this idea that our responses are on a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. that our responses are on a ladder. And so I want to give an example of what this means, right? We usually talk about it um, as we kind of start off in social engagement, safe and social 
And if we face a challenge, we'll be down to fight or flight. And if that challenge doesn't, can't be met by our fight or flight system, we move into um, faint, freeze, fold, right? Maybe some sort of death or something mm -hmm. like, like that. But what this means is we kind of have to go through these stages to get to the, to the, to the, to the next stage. Mm -hmm. um, and so my sister-in-law, is a neonatal nurse, mm. right? She works with preemie babies. And we were having uh, a meal one day and she was talking about how one of the big problems with their, with their babies is sudden infant death syndrome, right? Mm. Where the hearts just stop. Mm -hmm. And that's how Porter's got his start, right? Looking at yeah. how is it that the parasympathetic start system cuts on mm -hmm. and this thing that's supposed to be calming and relaxing mm. ends up leading to the deaths of these children, mm. right? So I'm like primed, I'm like on. Yeah. And she says, one of the things that we do for these babies is we give them caffeine. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's interesting, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I asked her for a quote and this is what she says. And this is her, and I think I like love this because I mean, she's, she's a nurse, she's very smart, but she's also a nurse. So she's giving you like a very practical sort of definition, right? Mm -hmm. She says, basically, uh, we give caffeine to the babies that have respiratory dis distress. Like, yeah, okay, that sounds like fading. They're not getting enough oxygen to their, to their mm -hmm. bodies. They're in that parasympathetic protective mode mm -hmm. and are going an, an ap apneic, right? Which means that they're not breathing. Um, so that's another that's another vocab word that I didn't know. So we give caffeine to our babies that have respiratory distress and ongoing apneic. It kind of gives them a boost of energy to help them remember to breathe. Mm -hmm. And what she's saying is when these babies are at the bottom of that ladder, mm -hmm. when their parasympathetic system is going into this really protective mode and is saying, don't breathe, slow down. Mm -hmm. The way that they keep these babies alive is by giving them caffeine so that they get a little bit more mobilized. The heart rate picks up. Mm -hmm. So they're mm -hmm. helping them move from the bottom rung of the ladder to the middle rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we see this in, in a counseling setting as well too, right? When people are totally dissociated, right? They're not often able just to like jump back into social connection. There's often these like panicked responses in that place as they, they emerge from that dissociative state. Um, and, and so it is, it's kind of, we have to climb that ladder, right? And be able to distinguish between um, what, what response is most necessary for our bodies to really get what they need. I love that example. Right, because I think especially Jordan and, and I mean in babies, right, of, of this experience, it just shows kind of our most basic human functioning, right? And, and that little bit of mobilization gets us up to a higher order of processing, right? Activates the body um, in some ways. Not that we want to keep the baby there forever. Right. But we need that, especially when that bottom rung, which we call the dorsal vagal branch, um, that's the one in charge of that freeze response. When we see someone slipping into that 
the goal isn't to get them immediately into social connection. That's not going to be possible. But even if we can activate and get their bodies to activate a little bit around that space, that's a very good thing. That makes so much sense. I remember having a client who was in foster care. He was, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe eight, eight or nine, maybe, maybe even younger. And he was, um, he was so shut down. And I'd hang out, I'd hang out with this kid at his house, at his foster house, and he would just dig in the dirt for hours. And that happened, and the foster parents were very happy with it. They were like, oh, he's such a good kid. He just sits in place by himself. And I was like, this kid is not okay. Yeah. And then he got two older foster brothers, and they all became like a unit. And this kid started like stealing food and talking back and, you know doing all these negative behaviors mm -hmm. and the foster parents were like, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. This kid is torn into a bad kid. Mm. And it's like, wait, from a polyvagal perspective, this kid, when he was playing in the dirt by himself, when he was shut down, was at the bottom rung of that ladder, right? Mm -hmm. He was in that sort of dorsal vagal state. He was in that protective yeah. sort of mm -hmm. parasympathetic state. Mm -hmm. And when these kids came, it actually was a good thing. Mm -hmm. It pulled him up, right? So he was a little bit more engaged with them. But then mm -hmm. he also got some of those negative behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. Which are hard to deal with as a parent. I'm not going to say that they're yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> but what they didn't see and what I couldn't convey, and I don't think I really got this then either, was like, this is actually a sign of him moving up the ladder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually a sign of him thawing out, actually responding to what's going on around. Like he's mm -hmm. actually getting healthier. But mm -hmm. unfortunately what that means is now you got to deal with a little bit of aggression and a little bit of mm -hmm. defiance and a little bit, you know what I mean? All those sorts mm -hmm. of things. And it's like, yeah. man, like if, I wish I could have conveyed that to them. I wish I had a full sense of that then. Mm -hmm. This is this kid actually getting healthier. Yeah, which is hard because I just see these behaviors that I don't like, Yeah. right? But instead of just shutting down completely in response to stress, I can actually do something about it, right? And I can be mobilized. And our goal isn't that we stay <laughs> right in that activated state but eventually through the polyvagal lens i'm able to reach out for connection and support um and be able to interact in that way as well yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i think yeah absolutely mm -hmm. um okay so we have about about 15 minutes left um and there's two big bonus things i wanted to touch base with you about mm -hmm. um as I was reading through this chapter, I feel like it's more and more clear to me some of the differences, even in how Porges and Sapolsky are approaching this thing, yeah. right? Some of these we talked about in the past. Porges is looking at your ability to co-regulate, your ability mm -hmm. to use a social engagement system. Mm -hmm. And Sapolsky is looking at sort of the cognitive aspect, right? Like how are you mm -hmm. perceiving different things? Mm -hmm. um, which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Porges is looking at the vagus and the different branches of the vagus. Mm -hmm. 
and Sapolsky's looking at a lot of the hormones that go on in the body, right? Mm -hmm. um, but another big thing that I realized that they are looking at this thing very differently in is mm -hmm. Porges is looking at the intensity of the stressor, mm -hmm. the intensity of the stressor. Now, the intensity of a stressor moves us down or up the ladder. Mm -hmm. And Sapolsky is looking at the chronicity of a, of a stressor, mm -hmm. right? You can have a low-level stressor that goes on for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what he talks about in this chapter, right? Of like, you can have a low-level stressor that keeps you chronically um, irritated and, you're, and gives you hypertension, mm -hmm. increases your chances of heart disease. Mm -hmm. But that's different than like having a really big stressor that then pushes you into you know, fainting or freezing. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting, just a different way of even thinking about. Absolutely. And I think all of those differences really stem from through Porges's lens of polyvagal theory, he thinks that there can be more flexibility, right? Between the way that the body responds to stress. It's not about eliminating stress. It's about preventing that rigidity so that we can have more options when stressful situations come up. And specifically um, within those top two runs, activating the social engagement system or ventral vagal complex, or when it's necessary, utilizing that fight or flight, because sometimes it is necessary. Yeah. Whereas Sapolsky does it, he sees it as this on or off switch, right? Where it's like, don't leave on the lights too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Like, you're not going to like the bill over time. It's going to wear on everything over time. Like, shut it off. Uh, and you just see because of their understanding of the way that the body responds to stress, they just have such different emphases. And, and it makes perfect sense. If it does work like an on and off switch, then let's seek to shut it off at times. But if there's a way for the body to still experience stress, but do it in a way that's less taxing to the body, that's probably going to be a lot more useful because we can't train our bodies to not respond to stress. Exactly. And I think that's dovetail into like, like the last thing that mm -hmm. was sort of a bonus. He makes this brief comment in this chapter about how when we breathe out, mm -hmm. we slightly activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. And when we breathe in, we slightly activate the uh, sympathetic nervous system right mm -hmm. so when we breathe out our heart rate slowly or just a little bit slows down and when we, mm -hmm. when we breathe in our rate just a little bit speeds speeds up mm -hmm. and this gets into a whole different field mm -hmm. which i you know i'm talking to someone who knows a lot more about this than, than i do <laughs> about um biofeedback mm -hmm. right and flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know about this, um, but there's a type of breathing called um, resonance frequency breathing, mm -hmm. right? And resonance frequency breathing, which I learned about from a book called Heart, Breath, Mind by Leah Lagos, a phenomenal book. She mm -hmm. takes you through the whole process. But they basically, the basic idea is because when you breathe out, your heart slows down just a little bit. When you breathe in, your heart speeds up a little bit. 
that is a great measure of your um, sort of like overall physical health. Mm-hmm. And what they're looking for is how flexible is that? How much does your heart slow down when you breathe out and how much does it speed up when you breathe in? Because it's your body's ability to respond to that sort of thing, mm-hmm. that flexibility in how it responds that determines your physical health. Mm-hmm. So, and I know you've taken a lot more classes on this and you know, taught on this. Is that basically correct? No, that's exactly right. And, and you're talking, what you're really talking about there is heart rate variability. Right. Um, right, which is our heart rate is not perfectly consistent. And in fact, it's not even a good thing. <laughs> if it is, there's just some common variance um, in the way that our heart beats. But what we do see and what we're seeing more in research too, which I find really interesting, is heart rate variability is actually being used now as a psychophysiological measurement of emotional regulation. So not that we're trying to prevent heart rate variability from increasing, right? And usually giant increases in heart rate variability means, oh, something stressful happened and I'm adjusting to it, right? Whereas if it's really small variability, there's not much change. That means I'm probably pretty steady state. Most of us live in a world um, where we're coming into contact with people, um, which <laughs> means we have a, with a good thing, right? That our heart can adjust and have large amounts of variability when it's necessary. The thing is where we're seeing it being used as a measure for emotional regulation, because how quickly can my heart rate be restored to that consistent rate um, to having smaller variability after a stressful event? If it takes me three hours to calm down, right, and to bring my body back to a steady state after I get cut off in traffic, that is not good for my emotional regulation capacity, right? And it's not good for my body. Um, And so what we're seeing in this is how quickly can my body be restored, right, to that calmer way of being that that's a gauge for emotional regulation. And that's why resonance frequency breathing is this kind of training your body of how to restore itself um, to that regulated place. That even in when moments of distress come up, I can train my body to get back into a mode where things are level and calm and restored there. Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying about flexibility, right? Of like, okay, mm-hmm. what we're really going for here is flexibility. Mm-hmm. Flexibility is reflected not just like mentally, but also like in your body. Like how does your heart, um, how flexible is your heart rate? Is mm-hmm. there is there is there is there a good level of variability? Is there a good level of flexibility yeah. in your heart rate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if and if so, that's a really good measure for your physical health and also for your mm-hmm. for your mental health. Right. And a way to and a way to train that heart rate vari- variability is the resonance frequency breathing. Right. Mm-hmm. Breathing at a rate. And she says this in the book that in general, and there's flexibility because people are, are all different, but in general, breathing at a rate of six seconds out and four mm-hmm. seconds in so that your out breath is a little bit longer than your, than your in breath, mm-hmm. that's what trains our heart to have more variability, more flexibility, mm-hmm. which leads to better emotional response, you know, it's mm-hmm. a better emotional responding and also like you know, better physical health, which is mm-hmm. just like, to me, that was fascinating. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Because us being able to kind of bring our bodies back down is how we keep all of those very dangerous effects from having from long-term sources of stress that we talked about earlier today. All right, Dr. Conroy, we are almost out of time. Um, What's your takeaway from this? this? What's your sort of your closing thought from this section on the heart? Well, if you'll forgive me, I think I'm going to get a little bit cheesy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Since we've been talking about the heart anyway. Um, I think the, the best thing that I'm taking away is, oh my gosh, how much hope does this open up? that this doesn't have to be a fixed state, that heart disease and um, high blood pressure and hypertension, they don't have to be a fixed state. I don't want to ignore the genetics and the biological contributing factors here, right? But also like there is hope if I'm able to find ways to downregulate myself in a way that's appropriate and healthy and promotes that regulatory capacity, there's like a lot of hope um, because I'd love to live in a world without stress. I plan to one day. Um, that's not coming <laughs> um, as far as I can see anytime soon. And so it's not that I can ever avoid feeling that stress, but how can I stay regulated um, in spite of it? Um, And and so I think that that's just such a hopeful message that I'm walking out of today with. Yeah, that hope. That's great. I have like three big takeaways, which is probably too much. I think for me, one of the big (laughs) takeaways was just all the vocab. Mm. It just clarified a lot of those terms about myself, Mm -hmm. my body that I had never Mm. had an an explanation for and put in context, right? Mm. Hypertension, myocardial. myocarda and infarction um atherosclerosis although i'm like oh okay this mm-hmm. is what these things mean mm-hmm. i think also um i'm a big fan of resonance frequency breathing of you know training yeah. your hrv um for various reasons i do a little bit of that most mornings mm-hmm. and i found it very helpful and so i think you know, from a practical standpoint, I would recommend people like check out the book, look into mm-hmm. Leah Lagos um, and just say, experience it. And I think for me, going through that experientially helped me a lot better to be in touch with my own physiology, right? Mm-hmm. For me to be able, because I had a, a, because I could sit down, feel what it felt like to do the breathing and to get really balanced. Mm. I then had a contrast to say, Oh wait, right now I'm, I'm off. Mm. I, that really increased my, my own bodily awareness, mm. which then helps me to um, regulate myself better, mm. mm-hmm. you know, cause then I can say, wait, I'm off. I need to go talk to my wife or I'm off. Mm. I need to go, I don't know, um, go for a walk or I'm off mm-hmm. and I need to go and like talk to somebody in the office. It just, mm-hmm. it just really gave me better, mm-hmm. a better felt sense of when mm-hmm. I was on and when I was off. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I would recommend people check that out. Mm-hmm. And then I think for me personally, 
the other really big thing is thinking about this with my client who would dig it in, in, in the dirt because it really helped me to see him differently mm. and to see how him and probably a lot of kids who are quiet, you know, withdrawn, um, sullen, who are then sort of praised for good behavior mm -hmm. are actually really struggling on the, on the inside. Yeah. yeah. And um, so for me, those were like, like the, the big things and I was like, oh, wow, this is so huge. So Beautiful takeaways there, Dr. Heron. Oh, thank you, Dr. Conroy. <laughs> All right. Well, look, I'll see you next time, okay? All right. Thank you so much. This has been fun. All right. Hey, before you go, a few reminders. Since you finished this podcast, you might as well earn CEs for listening. Check out the description to find out how you can listen and earn CEs. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you learned something, please, please share this with a friend or leave us a review in iTunes. That would help us out a lot. All right. See you next week. Mm -hmm.